and uh, we're, we're up uh, last week and this week to the 10th chapter. Uh, chapters 9 through 11 really are, are a unit within the letter, a uh, section in which uh, there's a unified theme as a question that we'll talk about later that Paul is addressing. And so we, uh, we're really right here in the middle of, of looking at that question and seeing what Paul has to say about it as well as just how he develops his thought through this letter. So if you're visiting with us, if you're if you're here for the first time, uh, really haven't been here through the series, uh, we're glad that you're here um, and uh, hope that you'll continue to join us and, and continue to follow this letter. It's just really tremendous. The, I think a lot of times we're not used to um, maybe thinking, going down deep into, uh, into a logical thought and really following it through, and that's exactly what Romans is. So we, we've really been trying to put our thinking caps on. Uh, really trying to listen and think carefully about what God's saying here in His Word, while at the same time realizing that the only way that any of us will understand any of what we read and hear is by the grace of God, right? By His mercy, which we need. So uh, we're going to give our attention to the reading of His Word, uh, and then pray, and then consider these verses together. So let's, uh, let's read here Romans 10, verses 14 through 21. Paul has just finished saying that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says, beginning in verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's pray. Lord, it is so good to be with you this morning. It's so good to be here with your people, to hear so much of the Bible read to us, to listen to you speaking in your word, to to sing praises to you. Our hearts long to sing praises to you. Because you've shown your mercy to us. And so we've been able to sing to you and to pray and call out to you as we've sung together. Asking you to help us to forsake all the treasures of this world if only we could live with the knowledge that you yourself are our greatest treasure, our great good. And Lord, it's been good to confess our sin to you and then to hear you and your word saying that you forgive us in Christ, that Though once we were excluded, now we're included. Now we belong to you. Lord, this time with you has been, has been good. It's been important and necessary for us. And so is this time here. 
We need again to hear your word. We thank you for this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. We believe that he did it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that what he says is what you say. It's your word, and we need to hear it. And so we pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would open our ears, that you would soften hearts if there are places in our hearts that have become encrusted with unbelief, with, with sin, with pride, with willful rebellion, with neglect, complacency, that, Lord, you would overcome that you would speak to us by your word and by your spirit because we are your servants and we're here to listen. So we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at uh, Romans 10 verses 5 through 13 where Paul goes out of his way to stress the centrality, the necessity of faith. Salvation doesn't come from looking within ourselves, like many would say, Rather, salvation, according to God, comes only from looking outside ourselves to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's been saying that that in the gospel, in place of any sort of righteousness that we might manufacture of our own, any sort of performance or record before God that could be based on our obedience, that in the gospel, in place of that righteousness, which won't do, is another righteousness that will do. And it's a righteousness that comes from God. And it's received only by faith. That's why it's good news. It's a gift. It's received. It's accomplished for you. And one of the things that Paul is saying in all of his letters, and he certainly says it here in Romans, is that this gospel is not just for some people. It's not just for some kinds of people. But rather, it's a gospel, and this is why it's a gospel. This is why it's good news for the world, because this gospel is for everybody. That this gospel is for all kinds of people, everywhere, at all times. And you see that here in chapter 10 and what we've read uh, this week and last week. He says in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You might be saved, but you'll have to wait until the, the last day to, to see for sure. No, you will be saved. It says in verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And again in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is good news for everyone, for all of us here this morning. And we can trace this back all the way to the very first chapter of Romans where Paul begins to to make his case by saying that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And what we begin to see if we listen to what Paul is saying in Romans and we see him unpacking this more clearly here in this text today is this, that at the very heart of the gospel, is a free and open invitation for everyone to come to Jesus Christ. That's the very heart of the gospel message. It's a free and open invitation for you and for every man and woman and child under heaven, everywhere, all the time, to come to Jesus Christ. It's a sincere offer. It's a real offer. It's a free offer. Come to this Christ And if you do, when you do by faith, you will surely have life from God himself. 
It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what race. Race makes no difference. Color makes no difference. Age makes no difference. Background makes no difference. Intelligence makes no difference. Paul even hints at that here. Because everywhere he goes, Paul is saying that all who come to the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And that's it precisely. And now we get especially into the thought of Romans 9 and 10 and 11. That free offer of the gospel is precisely why Paul's heart is breaking and filled with sorrow in these chapters. And I, I wonder if you've noticed that as we've read, you know, there's a week between our readings of these chapters. I hope you're maybe reading these, this letter on your own. Uh, you know, originally this is a letter that would have been read at once to the congregation, and we've taken a number of months to work our way through it, and so it can, it can be forgotten on us. But there's a tremendous amount of emotion in these chapters. Paul is agonizing. He's longing. His heart is broken because everywhere he goes as he sees Gentiles, as he sees people coming to Jesus Christ, coming into the kingdom of God through faith in Christ, what he also sees is that his fellow Jews, his what he calls kinsmen according to the flesh, are rejecting Christ. They're not coming in to the kingdom of God. And his concern for them is so great. Do you remember what he says? That if it were possible, he would willingly be damned himself if that would mean salvation for him. I, I don't think any one of us here knows what to do with that statement. That his love for them, his sorrow for them, his anguish of heart, as he says, is so great that if it were possible, he would be willing to be eternally damned if it would mean salvation for them. I've never felt that way about a lost person. And I think it's because we don't love the lost anywhere near the way Paul loved his fellow Jews who didn't know Christ. I've been bothered by a question over the last several weeks, and so I want to bother you with it too. And the question is this, when is the last time I cried out to God with a broken heart for the salvation of another human being? And I think our answer to that question is a sort of spiritual thermometer about where we are and about how deeply rooted the gospel is in our own thinking and our own living. So here in Romans 9 through 11, Paul is longing for the salvation of the Jews, and he's asking this one question throughout these three chapters. What's gone wrong? Why has this happened? Why, in the light of God's promises to save his people, have all of these uh, descendants of Abraham, why have so many of the Jews not come in? Why have they not responded? That's the question he continues to ask here. And I think, as you'll, I think as you'll see, in the course of these verses that we've read this morning, it really divides into two sections. In verses 14 through 17, as Paul has that question in his mind, what's gone wrong? Why have the Israelites not believed? He's really telling us how the gospel comes to us. He shows us the normal way that the gospel comes to anybody so that we hear it and believe and are saved. And then in the second section, verses 18 through 21, he asks two questions. He hasn't changed the subject, but he asks two questions that help us, I think, to examine 
not so much how the gospel comes to us, but how we respond to the gospel and why we respond as we do, why you respond as you do to the gospel. So let's look at those two things. First, how is it in the first place that the gospel comes to anybody? Paul wants to think about that as a way of answering the question about the Jews and their unbelief. He's so troubled by the fact they've rejected the gospel, he wants to think very carefully about what's going on here. And so look with me again at verses 14 through 17. And he asks a series of questions. He asks, How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him either of whom or simply whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. They've not all submitted to the gospel, believed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, and we read it this morning, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So where has the breakdown occurred? Why has Israel rejected the Messiah? That's Paul's question. But again, as he answers that, he gives us a very clear picture of how the gospel comes. What is that picture? How does the gospel come? Well, it's pretty simple, but it's a very tight logic here. Someone has to send preachers to preach the good news. Those preachers have to go and preach the gospel so that people will hear the gospel believe the gospel, begin to understand the gospel, begin to see themselves as sinners in need of God's grace in Christ and begin to see Jesus as a completely reliable Savior for them so that they call on Him and are saved. That's ordinarily how the gospel comes to us. That's ordinarily, somehow or other, that's, that's a general description of how most people come to know Jesus Christ. There has to be sending and preaching and hearing and believing and calling. And so that's what Paul is saying here. And you can see it in a, in a compressed way, kind of an abridged version in verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing is a response to preaching. Preaching, hearing, believing. Paul's connecting these things, and what he's saying very simply is ordinarily, if anyone's going to be saved, if anyone is going to, be, to belong to Jesus Christ and come to know him, they need to hear the gospel and respond to it in faith. Now, God can do whatever he wants. God can work without means sometimes, and sometimes he does. If God wants to save somebody directly, immediately, without the use of means, maybe apart from the preaching of the gospel, God can certainly do that. Uh, for example... God is able to save, in our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about this, God is able to save elect infants who die in infancy. God is able as well to save those who, because of mental or physical weaknesses or disabilities, cannot respond to the preaching of the gospel, perhaps can't even hear it. There are clues in the Bible, there are passages in the Bible that indicate that this is true. And this is wonderful news for, for some of us who have lost children in the, in the womb or in infancy or who have loved ones who, because of physical infirmities and weaknesses, cannot hear and respond to the preaching of the gospel. God is able to save, and He will save His elect. But those are extraordinary cases. And what the Scriptures are showing us here is that ordinarily, ordinarily, 
Only those who hear the gospel and believe the gospel and call on the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. There's a quote on the front of your bulletin from John Stott, who, along with our dear brother Roscoe Drury, went to be with the Lord this week. They were born in the same month of the same year and died in the same month of the same year. And I didn't know John Stott personally. I did know Roscoe personally for a time. Uh, I hear from people who knew John Stott that he was very similar in character to, those of, to what we saw in Roscoe, uh, a man who delighted in the gospel and who delighted in the glory of Christ. Well, John Stott wrote in his commentary on Romans, unless some people are commissioned for the task, there will be no gospel preachers. Unless the gospel is preached, sinners will not hear Christ's message and his voice. Unless they hear him, they will not believe the truths of his death and resurrection. Unless they believe these truths, they will not call on him, and unless they call on his name, they will not be saved. When you begin to understand this, when we begin to appreciate the truth of this, then we begin to understand why Paul's so urgent, why there's this evangelistic zeal and urgency in his life and in his writing, and we should have it too. It should be impressed on our lives as well. Because men and women without the gospel, Paul has been saying throughout this letter, are under the wrath of God. They're under the judgment of God. And apart from the gospel and apart from faith in Christ, we have no reason to think that they could ever be saved. So it it pushes us, I think, to ask, do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we really believe that there's no hope for people who are outside of Jesus Christ? Are we convinced that without the gospel, that without Christ, they will perish in their sins? Do we believe that the gospel really is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes? We have no reason, friends. We have no reason to think biblically. We have no reason to believe that God will do it in some other way. We have every reason biblically to believe that it is through the preaching of the gospel that God will save his elect, his chosen people. You don't know who the elect are. Only God does. He calls us to scatter the seed, water it with prayer, and believe that he will do it. Believe that he will save. And this means that you and I have a responsibility, right, to bring the gospel to the people that he's put in our lives. To know Christ is to have an obligation to the world, to give to them, to present to them the gospel of God. Because unless we go, the gospel won't go. And if the gospel doesn't go, people will not come to faith in Christ and be saved. Now, how seriously, how seriously, I know that many of you do, how seriously, though, are we taking this as individuals and as a church? Who has God put into your life? And perhaps for them, you are at the moment their only connection with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know we need wisdom to know how to speak the gospel and to take it gently and lovingly and wisely and and truthfully into people's lives. This is not, this is a delicate thing, and we need wisdom for it. But clearly, it's got to be at the heart of our life together. We're called to the glory of God, to be making disciples of Jesus Christ here in Athens and throughout the world. But here's a distinction. While we are all responsible to bring the gospel with us wherever we go, Paul seems in this passage to say that there is something unique that's happening. There's something unique about preaching. 
that there's something uniquely powerful that happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached by a minister set apart to that task. He's very careful to say that right at the, at, in the center of this link, this chain uh, of the way the gospel comes is preaching. You need to send those who will preach, who need to preach, and that preaching needs to be heard and believed. Now, if that's true, and I think it is, I think it is true that while we are all called, and while Paul understands that we are all called to go and and scatter and sow the seed of the gospel wherever we go, there is something unique and special about the preaching of the gospel. If that's true, I think that should seriously elevate our attitude about preaching. I'm not sure what you think about preaching. It's always interesting to be on this side. You get to see one face, but I get to see a lot of faces and to wonder I don't know what you think about preaching week in and week out. What are your thoughts? How, how, what do you expect when you come here on a Sunday? When you know the Word of God will be preached, what do you expect to happen? Do you think about that? Do you long for it? Do you just put up with it? But this should seriously elevate the way we think about preaching. It starts with, with your pastors. It means that Hal and I need to be very serious as we try to be, about preparing and praying and preaching so that people will be converted. But it also has implications for you. It means that God, let me just list several. If God is using the preaching of the gospel to save people, it means that he'll use the preaching of the gospel to save our children. Let's start there. Often we don't understand what God may or may not be doing in the lives and hearts of our children as the, as the gospel is preached because even, but even if we think they don't get it, God uses the preaching of the gospel to save. It's a mystery, but God's at work. So let me say to you children, learn to listen to your pastors preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. Learn to listen for the voice of Christ because God is promising that through his word he will speak to you. He will bring his gospel to you so that you can believe him. Expect that to happen. Parents, keep this in mind and let it help you encourage your children and help them to benefit from it. But it also means that God will use the preaching of the gospel to convert your friends, your neighbors, your, co- your colleagues, those you bring with you to Redeemer. That as we come together under the preaching of the gospel, God promises to use that, that the power of, of God to salvation is there at work in the preaching of the gospel. And God will use the preaching of the gospel to build you up. Because faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. He will strengthen your faith. He'll build you up as a believer in Jesus Christ. Especially as you hear the gospel preached to you week after week after week. And I think if God intends to use preaching this way, if he has a high view of the preaching of the gospel, we ought to have a high view of the preaching of the gospel. This means we ought to be here every, every week eager and expectant for God to be here to show up and to speak powerfully to us in his word. We ought to expect that every week. So it does away with the question, well, should I go to church today? Of course you should, because God will use the preaching of the gospel of Jesus to save you all the way to the end. And you see that expectancy and joy in verse 15 as Paul quotes from Isaiah 52 How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, I have witnessed a great example of this about 10 years ago, almost exactly 10 years ago. 
Uh, I've been invited to preach in a PCA congregation in North Carolina near Raleigh. And Alicia and I went, and as uh, we arrived, I was greeted by uh, a man who I still, I haven't forgotten the joyfulness of his face. And he took me by the hand, and he greeted me and welcomed me and took me into a room towards the back where we met with some of the elders and deacons and other people to pray before the service. And this man began to pray. And he began to say, Lord, thank you for, thank you for this day to worship you and to hear from your word. You say in your word, Lord, that beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And you know what he said next? He said, Lord, this man's got pretty feet. <laughs> he was filled with joy. And I haven't forgotten that in 10 years. He was filled with joy. Why? Why, did he, why was he glad to see? I didn't know this man. We had no personal relationship. I've never seen him since that day. Why was he so excited that I was there? Because he knew that God in his providence had sent me there to talk to him about Jesus Christ. And he was glad. He was ready to hear the gospel. He knew that he needed to hear the gospel. And he believed. I learned later he believed a lot. He actually spontaneously recited to me the larger, not the shorter, the larger catechism's answer to who is God. So he believed a lot of things. He thought a lot about a lot of things. He was waiting to meet with the Lord. He believed in the power of the gospel, especially as it's preached. You ever think that on a Sunday? How be- or something like it? How beautiful that God sends messengers into my life to tell me, your sin is pardoned in Jesus Christ. That God sends messengers of the gospel to tell me, Your warfare with God has ended through the cross. That God sends messengers into my life to tell me your life is hidden with Christ. And all that you are is tied up with him now. It's not not just about what you see and experience that your life is defined by who Christ is. You need messengers. I need messengers to tell me that, to tell you that because you don't think that way on your own. And God sends messengers of the gospel into our lives to tell us the truth. Let me ask you a question as an aside. Because this man's joy, the reason he thought I had pretty feet and I was wearing shoes, this man's joy came from confidence that God was going to be at work through the preaching of the gospel. So let me ask you this as an aside. If you're bored week in and week out, if you're bored with preaching, I mean preaching that's centered on Christ. There's a lot of preaching out there that you should be bored with. If you're bored with preaching that's full of Christ, full of the gospel, that's based in the scriptures, if you're bored with that week after week, what do you think that might tell you about yourself? What might that reveal about your own heart? Might it mean that you're still spiritually dead, that you don't have a heart for God, and so you're not concerned to hear from him, you're not concerned to meet with him. You don't believe that his gospel is powerful. The Puritans used to say that preaching is God's chariot and he rides on it into this world. He's gathering up his people. Beautiful image. This is why we need to stay committed to church planting, right? Because we're sending ministers and other Christians out to preach the good news. This is why we have to keep sending missionaries like Peter to go out, especially those who are ordained to preach, to go out to Mexico City, to go to Nagoya, to go to Madrid, to go to the campus at UGA, where you have students not only from all over this country, but 112 others 
It also means that you need to be praying. Please be praying for your pastors. That we would preach the gospel. Pray for the Holy Spirit to bless it with fruit. Pray for Hal and for me and for Matt Curry and for Justin and for Jeff and for Don Alden. For Matt Adair, for Bob McAndrew. Pray for men who you know are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Parker James over at University Church. Rob Edwards in Virginia. Dan Rogers in Massachusetts. All these young men who always get cranked out of Redeemer and end up going to seminary and preparing for the ministry. Because you see what God's doing there is he's sending messengers. He's sending messengers to proclaim the good news. I want to tell you something. But we're, the leadership of this church has begun asking God for 20 conversions between now and Christmas. That's... That's not a lot, really. God could, could give us a lot more than that. But we are praying that way because we believe and we want to believe with more conviction that God's able to do that. That God's at work through the preaching of the gospel. We want Redeemer to be a place where this is happening, where people are coming to faith in Christ right here in this room and in your living rooms and in Sunday school rooms as they hear the gospel and call on the name of the Lord. Maybe that will happen for some of you this morning. Maybe this morning as we talk about how God uses the preaching of the gospel to save sinners, maybe that's actually why you're here this morning, because someone invited you here, and in eternity past, God's plan was that you were going to be here so that you would hear the gospel of Christ and be saved. Maybe that's happening right now. Because this is what real church growth is. God adding to our number day by day, in the book of Acts we read, those who are being saved. So that the church becomes, this has been an image that was in my mind yesterday, the church becomes like a maternity ward. And there's always new babies. There's new life coming in because God is at work through the gospel. As you take it, as I take it, as we take it. So this is the way Paul says the gospel ordinarily comes to us. This is the way that people usually come to faith in Jesus Christ. People take the gospel, and they send other people who will take the gospel. Where could you take it that you're not yet? Maybe you should begin by thinking of who brought it to you and thanking God that he sought you out, that he came to you and found you. So Paul looks at the ordinary way the gospel comes to us, and then he asks these two questions. Verses 18 through 21. He's not changing his subject. He's still asking, what's going on with the Jews? Or think more generally, why do people not believe the gospel? Have you ever wondered that? Why, why do I keep sharing the gospel with my friend, with my family member? Why do they, they just don't seem to hear it? And then others do. Well, Paul's asking that question. So he adds two questions to it, and he says in verse 18, what's going wrong with Israel? Is it, is it because they haven't heard, he says? And then in verse 19, or, or is it because they heard but they didn't understand? It wasn't made clear enough to them. And it's very interesting, he answers those questions by going back to the Old Testament to show that the problem is deeper than this. He's, he refers to Psalm 19, there in, in verse 18, to indicate that they have heard the gospel. 
that it's gone out everywhere. And then he refers to Deuteronomy and to Isaiah to say, yes, they have understood the gospel. And that's what I said earlier, intelligence doesn't matter. If someone's not a Christian, it's not because they're not smart enough to have figured it out yet. If someone is a Christian, it's not because they are enlightened and they've been smart enough to figure it out. Because God says here something very, very important. I will make you jealous, he says to Israel, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. God is talking about the Gentiles who don't know anything about God at this point. And it's those Gentiles that are going to come in. It's not about intelligence and understanding. The Jews have not disbelieved because they didn't hear, and it's not because they didn't understand. So what is the problem? And that's what Paul comes to in verse 21 when he quotes this very powerful passage from Isaiah. But of Israel, the Lord says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's God's evaluation. That's God's answer to Paul's question. What's the problem? Where's the breakdown? God has sent his messengers to preach the gospel. They've heard the gospel. They've understood the message that's been proclaimed to them. God has stood, he says, all day long holding his hands out to his people. And his people have just said, no. No, I won't go that way. I won't believe in a crucified and risen Messiah. I won't enter into the life that's only found in him. And so they've just simply refused to call on the name of the Lord. I said last week that in chapter 9, Paul's very concerned as he asks, what's gone wrong? Why have so many not believed? Paul is very concerned to say, because not all are chosen. But he speaks very differently in chapter 10. In answer to the same question, he says, because many will not come. They simply will not come. They will not come. They will not receive. They will not rest in Christ. So I need to ask, what about you? I can't see into your hearts and into your minds and lives to know how God's at work in you, how he's been at work in your life, what he's doing with you right now. And I can't ever assume that everybody in this room already knows Jesus Christ. So what about you? Paul lays together these links, sending, preaching, hearing, believing, calling, salvation. Are all these connections in place for you? I know that some of them are. God has sent people into your life, your ministers, friends, neighbors, family members. God has sent people into your life. I would expect there would be very few of you in this room who have not heard enough of the gospel to know that you're a sinner in need of grace and that your only hope is in Christ. If you haven't even heard that much, please come and talk to me or someone here. 
But people have been sent into your life, and even today you're hearing the gospel, right now. And God's doing to you what he says he's been doing to Israel all along, holding out his hands to you. God's not keeping you away from himself. God's not, God will never turn away someone who comes to him. Do you know he promises that? Jesus says in John 6, anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away, but I will raise him up at the last day. So if you haven't come to Christ, it's not because he won't let you. It's not because you can't have him. But perhaps it's, as Paul says, because you won't have him. But will you today? Today could be the beginning of a new life for you. God in Christ holds his hands out to you that you would come to him, that you would call on his name and be saved. Now, there there are many reasons not to do that. You could be a church member who doesn't know Christ, and it it would be too frightening to think that people would find out that you've just only now become a Christian. And so you hold back. Or you, you hold back. You, you resist the call of the gospel because you're not sure what it will mean for your life, but you're fairly confident that it will mean change for your life and that you will no longer be able to do as you have and perhaps as you want to do. Or maybe you've just tried to convince yourself that you don't need him, that it's fine for other people, but you really don't need Christ. You really don't need God. But will you come to him today? The Lord will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will heal you. He will give you life and a new name, a new identity, make you really alive for the first time, give you a new family, surround you with people who also depend upon his grace, who belong to him, who grow up together in him. You begin to live in hope because for the first time you have a future. And God will prove himself to be a faithful savior to you. Paul says, what we read it last week, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. You know what that means? It means as you come to the the Lord Jesus and put your hope and your trust in him, He will never turn you away. He will never forsake you. He will never say, I wish I had never saved that person. He will never say that. But he will be a faithful Savior to you. And he is a faithful Savior to all of us who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. We pray that you would use it powerfully in our own lives, strengthen our faith, build us up, make us more like Christ, and we pray that you would use the gospel to reach those who do not yet know Christ. Lord, give us hearts that are humble and tender and that long for others to know Christ. Give us lives that, so that other people can see the gospel at work in our lives, so that we don't contradict what we profess to believe. 
And Lord, we do pray that you would make this a place more and more and more and more where people are coming to know Christ. We do ask you for these 20 conversions, for 20 people, for 40 people, for 100 people to come to know Christ and and to have life in him. And so, Lord, now as we come to the table, we pray that you would use these elements to build us up and to nurture us and nourish us in Christ Jesus. And we pray in him. Amen.